Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. On today's episode, Pastor Lance Hahn and I will be talking through a handful of axioms for Christians who lead. We know that leadership is full of challenges, and our hope is that whether you lead in your workplace, in your home, in church ministry, or in any other capacity, these axioms will help you lead effectively and have fun doing it. That's what's coming up on this episode of Engaging Culture. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 13 of the Engaging Culture Podcast. I'm Brian Kiley, joined by Lance Hahn. I'm here, everyone. Do not fear. I am right here. Every single episode, I yes. want to come up with some like strange descriptor for you, <laughs> but I never think of it until the exact moment. Right. So it just fails. It just fails. Every single time. Hey, that's I have all right. Nothing. That's all right. I've got I, nothing. Yes. Yes. The flat intro does not crush me. <laughs> Pastor Brian, the so fellow human, Lance yes. Hahn. The fellow, yeah. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, got got that for you. Uh, all right, hey, we're in the month of December. Uh, we're just coming back. We had a few days off. You have a good Thanksgiving. I had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, it was awesome food as long as I didn't make it. As long as you yeah, didn't make everyone it. Everyone else that made food in Thanksgiving was absolutely the bomb. It was amazing, and yet I made a turkey. And it was dry as all get out. Dry as all get. Well, I mean, you learned some things though about how to cook a turkey versus shockingly how, how no, not. no, <laughs> no, I didn't. So we can count on dry turkey for the Han household in Thanksgiving 2020. <laughs> well, we yes, because uh, actually a number of. Okay, so let me let me just explain this to everybody. Yep. So I did a dry run, no pun intended, <laughs> of a turkey last year, and I asked my wife to get oven bags. And so she looked for a box that had bags that said turkey, and so she bought them, and they were brining bags. Brining bags. And I put the turkey in the brining bag and put it in the oven last year, which seemed like a total nuclear disaster, <laughs> because brining bags are not for the oven. And what are so they for? they for brining. Oh, brining. Oh, yeah, okay. but I didn't happen to look at the title. I just assumed it was an oven bag, and it melted all over the turkey and ruined it, and so we ended up having to make another one. So obviously, I'm not learning from anything. Well, at least it's a different mistake this time. Oh, totally. No, so. no, no. I, I'm very good at making totally different mistakes all the time. Excellent. Uh, but you had some... So in addition to uh, destroying turkeys, yes. you had some downtime. Oh, I got to hang with my girls. My oldest daughter was home from college, and we watched a ton of Disney movies. If anybody doesn't have Disney+, Plus, this is a little plug for you. There you go. Uh, what was your favorite movie you watched over the break? Um, well, we ended up watching uh, a lot of the ones that my younger one hadn't seen. So, like, we watched uh, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, Swiss Family Robinson from 1960. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Real quick, factoid. Did you know that George Lucas, who did Star Wars, was so moved by the 1960 film Swiss Family Robinson, he patterned a bunch of Star Wars after that movie? For example, Darth Vader's name, Anakin Skywalker, is the director's name from Swiss Family Robinson. His last wow. name is Anakin. There you go. So everyone, perfect. All right. Well, that'll do it for the show today. I think we've got everything we needed. That that is that is a very interesting factoid. Thank I have you. To, I have to give it. I had didn't I? I have I extraordinary know useless that. knowledge, Brian. The, well, and this I'll. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're you're, you're president. I'm vice president of the useless knowledge Amen. club. So, all right. Well, today we're going to talk about some things that are hopefully not useless, and that is we want to talk through some different axioms for Christians who lead. Now, the kind of the genesis of this idea was you were on a panel, yeah, 
at Western Seminary right. for some students who were training for pastoral ministry. Yes. And you and some other pastors were asked to come up with some axioms for Christian leaders, things that they should keep in mind or things that they have things that you have learned from years in ministry. Is that yes. more or less right? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Um, we were just told to share uh, what have you learned over the years. I came up with the idea of axioms because I think in bullet points, yeah. and so I kind of break things out that way. Now, for those of you that have never heard the phrase axiom, axiom is simply kind of a one-liner or a short thought that encapsulates a principle. Right. That, I mean, that's that's really it. So as I was preparing for it, I was just, all these kept firing out at me because that's how my analytical brain works. And so I actually dropped a list of 23 of them. Mm-hmm on the class. We are not going to be going through 23 of them today. That would take a very long time. Yep. But they were great. And you shared a number of them with our staff. Even just today, we were talking through some of them in our in our staff meeting. Right. And thought it would be, I, I think a lot of these principles, they are they're highly generalizable, if that's even a word. They they are relevant for people that are in church ministry leadership, but they're yes. relevant, I think, for followers of Jesus and, and even non-followers of Jesus who are leading in other capacities as yes. well. So I think that, I mean, among our listeners and among our congregation, we obviously have people who lead everywhere from a business to nonprofits to, I think, leadership even in the home and leading a family and raising children and all of these different different environments. That's leadership. And well, well, that brings up the point that I think that every believer is a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I think that any Christian... Now, once again, I think any person is actually a leader, but I tend to think of terms of Christian leadership. But as you said, a lot of these principles actually apply outside of a Christian context as well. Right. I think that that our 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 Christian worldview adds some richness to that. Absolutely. But they're they're useful sort of regardless of where you are on the the faith spectrum. But obviously we're coming at it from a distinctly Christian angle. So right. we've got a bunch of these and yep. for the episode today, we're just, Lance and I are going to talk through a number of these principles and and we hope that it's helpful for you. So uh, I want to start with this one. So uh, you say that no one will share the full passion you have for your organization as a leader. That's okay, but difficult to accept. Can yeah. you tell us a little more about that? Yeah. So here's the thing that I've noticed with leaders that I've worked with throughout the years. There's always this letdown or a constant disappointment that you get all fired up for something and your crew is never as fired up as you are. And you get mad at them <laughs> because you're going, how come you don't get it? Like, don't you feel it? I feel it. And so what I ultimately learned throughout the years is that when you are gifted as a leader, you have a certain fire within your belly that other people don't carry. And that's okay. They're not supposed to be designed the same way. If they had an equal fire to you, they may well be challenging you. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. About something because they're so passionate. But just because they're not as passionate as you doesn't mean that they're not passionate. Right. And I think that um, settling in and saying they can be on the team, they can see their personal vision, but just because they're not living, eating, and breathing it like you are. I mean, so this is where I want to kind of push back to you. Yeah. You and I run at a very high level at Bridgeway. We are responsible for a significant amount of ministry that goes on here. Yeah. You, as well as I, tend to think about our church— all the time. Right. It's 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 almost impossible to go 
I don't know, even a number of hours without somehow reflecting on something that has to do with Bridget. Would, yeah. would you agree with that? Do you have uh, oh, to live with that too? 100%. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's probably the case with our entire SLT, which is our right. senior leadership team here, which is Miss Heidi Coffrin and then Josh Oot and then Jeff Eberhardt, right? Right. And, and so I think that all of us kind of live this. Well, when you live it, it's hard to see the world another way. And so if I'm going to go up on stage, I'm going to say, oh my goodness, I have this passion for the word of God and I'm so excited about, aren't you? And I look out into the congregation (laughs) and like one person's like sleeping and one person, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, come on people, what is wrong with you? Well, really, instead of constantly getting mad about that, there's a, there should, we can turn that around and we could say, you know what, praise the Lord that he's given me such a fire for it right. that it's almost nobody else can carry that same fire. Right. So as you think through that, what does it stimulate in your mind? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Number one, I think it's important for leaders to recognize that, uh, well, exactly as the axiom says, not everyone's going to carry the same passion that you have because, right. like you said, to give, to give the example from our lives, we're thinking about Bridgeway constantly. Like even when like this last Thanksgiving break, we had a few days off in a row and it's like, still, it's like, you just can't turn your brain off constantly thinking about Bridgeway. And it's unfair to expect people that come in on Sunday morning who have jobs and who have different things that they're doing or Saturday night and to expect them to be sort of on the, on the same page with, with you or me, that's just a completely unrealistic expectation. So, so on some level, it's the, it's the job of a leader to help cast vision and share vision in a way that those who don't eat, sleep, and breathe it every day can take it and digest it. And I think this is true in the church, and it's true in a company. It's true in any any, any sort of leadership capacity. You have to be able to speak a language that is intelligible to people that aren't living in the same world that you are. Because here's the thing. They might be leading somewhere else. The thing that they eat, sleep, and breathe might be something else. So if you're, say, say, someone else I might be their pastor, but I also might be their client in yes. there if I'm if I'm using one of the, their service, right? Yep. They need to be able to describe their service and communicate to me in a way that I can understand in the same way I have to do that to them. And then also, I think this works on a different level as well, where part of the challenge of leading in a broad capacity like you and I do is we also have to remember not only do others not eat, sleep, and breathe it the same way that we do, there are things that we don't eat, sleep, and breathe that others do. So when people come to us, leaders of particular ministries or volunteers or even people within the congregation who are having a a challenge in a certain way, for us, we're taking such a broad view of things, but for the individual we're talking to, I mean, this is their whole world. The ministry that they're leading is their whole world. So it can be challenging, I think, as a leader to, it's almost like then you have to take sort of this broad passion you have for the organization as a whole and be able to like direct it all in one yep. place for the sake of supporting those who that's what they do. So, so I find both of those elements to be fun and interesting, but also very challenging. Oh, for sure. So the, the key to leadership or the art form of leadership is to take people from where they're really at, not where you wish they were at, where they're really at and move them to where they need to be. Yeah. So to do that, you have to enter into their world and their mind space. The other thing that I would highlight about this is this directly impacts parenting. 
So let's say, for example, you are a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, right? and you're focused on parenting. Your kids are not going to be as passionate about the things <laughs> that you are. Their minds are in a bunch of other areas. Let's yeah. say, for example, they just came from school. Yeah. They've just had hours and hours and hours of people telling them what to do in a variety of areas. Yep. Their minds are swimming, and they come home, and you go, how could you not see that your room's a mess? <laughs> well, you've been focusing on it all day long. <laughs> you you were looking around and saying, this house needs to be in order right. and it seems odd to me that you would not see what i see right but i just want to you know once again encourage all parents they're never going to be as passionate about that's why you're carrying the torch for that right you're the champion of that yeah. and so it's not a matter of how dare you it's a matter of wow god really has my eyesight set on that right how can i breathe that vision into people in my home. Yeah, and, and just the, the self-awareness to remember, oh, yeah. whether it's your child or a coworker or just an, a, a customer, a client, whatever, they're not fixated on this the way that I am. Nope. It's just, it's, it's hard to do. Okay, next, busyness will be your greatest obstacle. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because we can look at it from two different directions. One is that it would be the greatest obstacle to your own growth and engagement. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking much more the other direction, okay. which is as you lead, what you will be battling is other people's busyness. Hmm. Um, so, for example, if I say, um, man, don't you love the Lord? Everyone would go, yeah, I love the Lord, too, at church. And then they're distracted mm -hmm. the minute they walk out. I'm not battling a good heart. I'm battling a distracted mind, yeah. a busy mind. And then I'll say things like, I can't believe you're struggling with that same sin. Well, how come you go, you know, how do I get rid of that? Well, it's not trying not to do something. It's falling more in love with Jesus. Well, how come you're not having more intimate time with the Lord? Busyness. Yeah. No matter where I go in church, and I've learned this throughout the years, my greatest foe is not, as a pastor, is not sin. It's not wickedness. It's not even the enemy. It's busyness. Yeah. I have more problems trying to overcome busyness, especially in today's modern context in suburbia where we where we live in our little right. bubble, right, is the demand and what is going on in the fast-paced world. I have a hard time advancing the ball. Sorry for the sports analogy. Yeah. I have a hard time getting things to move forward spiritually with the people I lead, mostly Due to busyness, yeah, not wickedness, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, what are your right thoughts on that? Well, one? and it was interesting. We had Greg Fuson on a little yes. while ago in a, a previous episode, and he mentioned a book called How to Do Nothing by a woman named Jenny O'Dell. I'd never heard of this book before he mentioned it, but I was intrigued. So I found it and I, uh, let's see, did I read it or I listened to it? I listened to it. And it, the book was, it was, it was interesting. I wouldn't, it's not like, oh my gosh, you got to go out and read this book, but it was pretty interesting. And it was talking about kind of the idea of the attention economy and how there are so many forces in the world today competing for our attention. So yeah. much of what we engage with online and in different environments is is designed by really smart people to get us addicted to it so that we keep totally. giving it more and more attention. So because of that, personally, giving our attention to worthwhile things is challenging because worthwhile things tend to be difficult and require focus and work yes. and things like that that are just not as fun as playing Candy Crush, right? Amen. But, <laughs> but, uh, and then at the same time, I think from a leadership perspective to know that in the attention economy, you're competing with all of these different distractions. Like you said, the 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 enemy is not a 
a wicked heart. It's a distracted mind. Yes. And I can relate to that in my own spiritual life. I'm sure that you can as well. And I think that when it comes to, like you said, moving things forward organizationally, trying to get kind of inertia and energy behind different initiatives and things we think that God is really in and that, that will be beneficial to people and to the community, it, it it's a huge, huge challenge. And I think that when when leaders have vision and that vision is positive, that vision is birthed by God, that vision is not about ego or anything like that, it's about helping people, we have to recognize that we're competing with a million other things that are that are vying for our attention. And it's sort of on us to be able to present what we're doing in a manner that can help overcome all of the other million million things that, that are competing with every single person we talk to saying, hey, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. And that's a challenge. Oh, it's that's hard so to do. hard. It's so hard. Um, as you were talking, it reminded me of another axiom that's not even on my list. Here's well, another one. You ready? Let's hear yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, Distracted or dead, the devil doesn't care. Hmm. Distracted or dead, the devil doesn't care. Why? Because it's equal to him. Yeah. If you have a believer that is dead, at least they're no longer a threat to his kingdom. Yeah. If they're distracted, it's the same thing. Right. So as long as they're not a threat, he doesn't care which one it is. Right. Distracted is just as good as dead. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I mean, that, and, that, and that, I think that are, that's, there's some extreme language in there. Yes, But obviously. that heightens the... Yeah. The importance that it really That's is it. true that when we're distracted, we're we're ineffective. Ineffective. Yeah. Either absolutely. way, we're ineffective. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Number three. Unfortunately, your organization cannot be for everyone. A choice for one eliminates another. What do you mean by that? Okay. This one uh, came through a lot of pain when I first uh, became a pastor uh, and and a leader. And I when I say first, I mean probably for the first fifteen years. Of, of my ministry, meaning the four-year ministry I did before I became mm-hmm. the pastor here. Yeah. Um, and so it would have lasted at least 10, 11 years while I was pastor here. I really, really struggled with this concept because I am very inclusive by mm-hmm. personality. Mm-hmm. I wanted everyone to be blessed. I want everyone to be loved. I hated the idea of niche ministry. I hated the idea of it's for some and not others. And I went out of my way to try to include everyone. Now, the positives of that is that we have a shockingly multi-generational church. Mm-hmm. We have every age in the service. Yeah. We have little kids that would rather listen to the preaching than actually go back to their classrooms, little kids. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, a lady that was 103. Holy moly. That, wow. that came into our church. So, I mean, we have the full yep. gamut, right? So there's a blessing for that wide yeah. reach that God has called me to. Yeah. But the reality is I had to be slowly told throughout the years that's impossible right. because one decision automatically negates another decision. Yeah. So, for example, the simple one can be, uh, well, we would like to have loud music to keep the young people engaged. The minute you go loud, the people like quiet music are eliminated. Yeah. But you have to do one or the other. You can't adjust the volume up and down during the song. It ruins the point. Yeah. And so if you go, well, we would like to have lights. Well, to have lights negates a different group. Yeah. And then you said, well, we're going to have niche ministry. Well, that's great for the majority. The problem is there's some people that want holistic ministry. Yeah. That negates the other thing. Whatever decision you make, you are automatically cutting off another group. Now, even without thinking about it, 
you're making unconscious decisions that are cutting off groups. Yeah. But I'm saying even our decisions that we make on purpose, you just have to realize you cannot be all things to all people, especially not as an organization or a group because they're coming to engage with you right. and they're constantly being turned off. Yeah. So I had to finally own the concept that there is such a thing as a target ministry with an open heart. Yeah. Right? That's and good. I and I think that uh that made me a little bit more peaceful with making some decisions as I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. No, what, what are your thoughts when really you good. hear that? What do so, you think? So I wanna I wanna go a, a step deeper than than issues like music and everything else. Yeah. And then I want to generalize this to to non to a non church specific yes. context. Um something that you and I have talked about is you look at kind of different mindsets within society, some of which are based on age, some of which are based on a wide range of factors. I want to be careful not to stereotype here, but I look at my own life and criticism I've received over the years, and and we'll talk about criticism later. If you don't want to be criticized, don't try to do anything. Ever. Right. But um, I don't know about 100%, but probably about 95% of the critics I've gotten over the years are from people when I speak out about justice issues, mm. always Christians, always Christians, yes. almost all of them conservative Christians who who criticize me for speaking out on justice issues, going back to when I was a 23-year-old college pastor, right. my whole life in ministry. And and I, I wrestle with that a lot. Yes. And I think about it pretty much every day. And how if I talk about these issues of justice that are so close to the heart of God in, in my right. view, yes. I'm alienating a certain population. Yep. And because I get tired of the criticism, I don't engage with these things, even though I feel like they're very close to God's heart, and I don't speak out publicly about them as much as I want to. Because of that, yes, I fear I'm alienating yep. people like me. I'm alienating people younger than me. And again, I'm, I, it's not all young old. That's like that's an in a, no. it's incorrect to to describe it in that manner. But generally speaking, it tends to be more younger people. I can alienate those people who are saying, "Listen, why?" Why aren't leaders talking about these justice issues? Why don't people care more about these things? I mean, I think about how even how I'll have to explain that to my children someday, like why I was not more active in speaking out about these issues. And that's a challenge because a choice for one is a choice against another. Yes. And that's a constant. And then there's the whole manner of, of, OK, how do you how do you help move people forward yes. at appropriate speed without alienating? And, and these are really, really challenging issues. And again, it is no overstatement to say I think about them every single day of my life. Well, we're dealing with them behind the scenes yeah. as an SLT team. Yeah. Um, we talk about the fact that one of the main reasons why droves of millennials and younger are leaving the church yeah. is hard-hitting issues aren't being addressed. Yep. But when you address them, the other age ranges yep. leave the church. Yep. So somebody's leaving the church whether you talk about it or don't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's real, real challenging. And then to to, to, to generalize this a little bit, I, I think it's important for, for organizations, businesses, nonprofits, et cetera, to answer the question, who are you trying to serve? Yes. And, and I love what you said about, was it targeted ministry with an open heart? Was yes. that the word targeted? Yes. I, I think that that's, that's a really helpful way of looking at it more broadly. Kind of a, a specific ministry, a specific demographic, a specific clientele with obviously an openness to others because if you say well the goal of our organization is to serve everybody well no it like god bless you and your good heart but if you try to serve everybody you will not be able to serve anybody effectively right. uh, my my wife for for a number of years she doesn't do this anymore but for a number of years she ran a blog that was pretty successful and within the blogging world i feel like maybe i've shared this on a previous episode there was a there was a phrase called uh, niches get riches 
And the idea was you find your niche, you target to that niche, and that's when you can monetize your blog, that's when you can make money, because you'll speak to people that care about that specific issue, and then they'll become loyal followers, they'll buy your products, they'll click your links, this and that. Yes. And and that, that phrase can sound a little shallow, niches get riches, but the point of it, I think, is really helpful to say, if you're going to be successful in advancing your cause, in selling your product, in leading people well, you have to know who is your niche. Who are you trying to serve? Now, that's not exclusionary. That's not to say we're going to exclude other people, but it is to say we know what we're about. We know who we're trying to reach, and that's our target. And if you can't define your target specifically, sort of, a, you know, pardon the cliche, but if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's when I think organizations and businesses and even social networks can struggle because there's not a clear target. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. And that's exactly what I struggled against. Yeah. Um, uh, because I'm in ministry. Yeah. If I was running a business, I wouldn't struggle with it at all. But because it's Jesus is for everyone, right. that makes it very hard for me. Right. Yeah. No. I, yeah. So I, what I, I ended yeah. up having to do is I had to say, okay, so what part of the human is my responsibility? Yeah. Meaning, am I going straight for hearts? Am I going straight for minds? Am I, you know, it yeah. may be everybody, but there's a part of the human being. I had to play different mind games like that right. to be able to target down on something that was inclusion inclusionary as opposed to excluding. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so for me, I had to find a way to love on everyone, yeah. but tailor it down. Right. And that's been very challenging. Yeah, that's a challenge, but that ultimately has to be the way that the church has to yes. run. Because obviously if it's too targeted, then it is exclusionary. Yes. And that's and you're right, Jesus is for, is for everyone. That's not helpful. Right. All right. Now we want to get into kind of the, the interior life of, yep. of a leader a little bit. I, I love this one. It is, it is so important. You say, know yourself well before you lead others. Yeah. So um, there is a lot of unintentional damage that is done by leaders. Um, and that's leaders everything from in the workplace to parenting to the pulpit, to all over the area. Um, because what happens is sometimes we lead out of our dysfunction. Hmm. So let's say, for example, um, we are a very domineering, very cutthroat type of leader. And everyone, you know, it's kind of the Jack Welch concept, which yeah. is like cut off all excess baggage, be hardcore. Well, right. for a long time, he was heralded as like the guru of how do you run hardcore business. Right. The problem with that is let's say that I'm I'm not attached to anybody. I just cut off the dead weight. Mm -hmm. What if that was, and I'm not saying it was, right. I'm saying theoretically, what if, and hypothetically, that was caused by a trauma yeah. in his past where he was saying, listen, I don't bond with people that way. I don't trust people. Yeah. So I can lead out in this way. Well, the problem is you're operating and leading out of a dysfunction. If you're not aware of that, you just are operating on what seems normal to you, but what if your normal isn't healthy? Hmm. That's yeah. the big concern. So what I think that before we start spreading our dysfunction, <laughs> it's really important to understand ourselves. So one of the things that I thought was so powerful in seminary when I went through it is one of the things at Western Seminary where I, where I graduated from for my MDiv um, they have a whole course. You have to take a course on self-assessment. Hmm. And all it was was an entire semester, 
of tests about yourself. <laughs> you had to go through the Myers-Briggs. You had to go through the DISC test. You had to go through the personality test. You had to go through, and all it was was assessment, 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 assessment. And you had to do this life mapping. You had to all these things yeah. so that you knew who you were. And I believe one of the great principles of Christian, um, just being a Christian at all, is know your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Don't overestimate or underestimate yourself. Yeah. Just know who you are. Paul talks about it with, think of yourself with sober judgment. Yeah. Look at it rightly, because you're not God. Mm-hmm. Admit there's faults and weakness, but but then you compensate and you work with them. Right. But if you just walk in cluelessness, if you are non-self-aware, yeah. you're going to hurt somebody. Right. What does it make you think? Yeah. Of? Well, I guess I want to I want to follow it up with a with with a question. Yeah. Of, okay. So someone somebody's maybe listening to this and saying, okay, I, I need to know myself. Yes. How do I do that? You yeah. talked about your seminary class a little bit. Yes. What, what, what other advice would you give to to leaders, ranging from parents to business, nonprofit, government leaders who would yes. say, "Okay, I'm in a position of leadership. I need to know myself, so I'm not leading out of my dysfunction." Yeah. So there are, um, thankfully, one of the areas our society has gotten a lot more healthy in is. Um, a desire to know yourself. So, for example, yeah. what used to be locked behind doors in psychology is now being put out widely on the Internet. So, for example, my daughter comes to me the other day, my my oldest daughter, and she goes, Dad, what Enneagram number are you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, now, if any of you know anything about Brian and I's relationship, is I that is drives me nuts because everyone around me is into the Enneagram, including Pastor Brian here. Yes, I am. And, and everyone's always asking me my number. So then my daughter, you know, now yeah. she, it comes at me from my own home. Yeah. Oh, right? man. And, um, and once again, obviously I'm playing because sure, I sure, think sure. the Enneagram's a brilliant concept. But she then went immediately online and there was a hundred Enneagram tests. Yeah. And so we start having this whole dialogue and we're taking tests online. Yeah. Um, so the stuff is out there. So a bunch of the tests that I have found very, very helpful uh-huh. is one of them is a colors test. A colors test tells you how do you receive information. So for example, green, there's four different colors. Usually in most tests, there's four categories. Yeah. So the green type of personality is someone that is a researcher and they want to know big picture and they have to see that before they can ever see details. A blue person thinks about people first and not tasks first. A gold person is highly detailed and they want to know the details before they hear the big picture. And then the orange are the creatives. They're the ones that like to grab things from all over the place. If you don't know your color or someone else's, you don't realize that for an orange person, just get to the point, do a short blurb, boom, they're already in. But if you take too long laying a foundation, you already lost them. Yeah. So if you know that about yourself, what about choleric, sanguine, melancholy, phlegmatic? That's a personality test. What about Myers-Briggs? What about the DISC is a leadership test? How do you do leadership? When you do premarital counseling, have you ever done an assessment test about compatibility? Yeah. There's so many. I would, If I was uh, somebody outside of you know seminary, I would say, listen, start looking around. If you even look at books like The Five Love Languages. Yeah. I mean, uh, by Gary Chapman. Yep. That is one of those things that you go, wow, this is this is earth shattering. I can use this with my children. I can use this with my spouse. I can use this with my family. Yeah. There's a, just keep digging in and saying, God, 
who am I? How'd you make me? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think to recognize what is what is the point of all of that? Yeah. I think the point of all of that is to be able to present the best version of ourselves to the world for the blessing of other people, it's right? stewardship. I think that a lot of times some of this like self-discovery can become a little bit narcissistic in a sense, oh, where it's sure. just all about me, me, me. I want to yes. know everything about myself. And then some a phrase that is big in sort of the Enneagram world, which which I really appreciate, is the phrase, your number is not an excuse. So you can't say, well, I just don't care about people that much because I'm not a two or right. whatever. And if, if you're not an Enneagram person, hopefully at least the, the principle there makes sense. Uh, no, actually, you don't get to say that. Like, you don't get to be a jerk just because nope. you're a certain number, right? Uh, you don't get to be. Yes. Uh, you don't get to ignore the big picture altogether because, well, I'm just not green. Like, well, right. that's that's not how it works. Actually, yep. it's helpful to to know who you are, to know your strengths, to know your weaknesses, to surround yourself with people who can compensate for your weaknesses, and then to recognize not everyone is like me. Because that's so important. It's I mean, if you don't know yourself and you really dig into sort of the nuances of who you are, I think our natural tendency is to assume that everyone else is like us. Yes. And it's just not true. And that's how and, and all of those the tools you named, I think it's important to point out because people can get a little I mean, I joke about the Enneagram cult, but people can get a little cultish about their particular tool that they like. They're all tools. They all have benefits. None of them are perfect, nope. but they're useful. That's right. It. And and I, I I mean, I've talked about this in so many different contexts. I think when my wife and I really started to dig into the Enneagram, it was one of the most transformational things for our marriage in terms of me understanding her better and her sort of interior life a little bit better and then her understanding me a little bit better. Now, I will say this. It's painful. The self-discovery process can be painful because all of the junk that you try to pretend isn't there yes. <laughs> sort of gets brought to the light. I have this memory of, I think it was last summer, we are we were driving, we had gone to Montana for a family reunion, but our flight was out of Spokane. So we were driving from Montana to Spokane to fly back, and our colleague Heather Johnson had, had given Christy and I an Enneagram book, and we were reading reading the book, or she was reading it while I was driving, and we are discussing it, and we would rotate between reading the part about her uh, her number, she's a one, and then my number, I'm a seven. And both of us could only handle about 10 minutes of reading about our own number at a time because it forced us to confront sort of negative elements of our own personalities and realizing like, oh gosh, I do I do that. Oh man, I hate that, you know? And it was revealing and it's helpful because you have to bring that stuff into the light before you can do anything with it. Yes. But I bring the whole, my point of my long, boring story is just to say, it's painful work, so be aware that it's painful yes. work. But that's good pain, work. I mean, it's surgery, you know? It is pain that leads to healing. Yeah, real quick, for those of you that have never heard of the Enneagram, we keep saying that, it is a, um, it's a self-assessment that examines why you do what you do. What is your deeper motivation for how you order your life? That's yeah. really the point of yeah. it. Yeah, that's really the point of it. It's, it's not perfect. It's not gospel truth. It's just, it's a tool that helps. All right, next... Uh, this is getting into another challenging element of leadership right here. Taking a stand for the right things usually involves offending people you love. Yeah, that this is I'm a people pleaser by nature and yeah. being a pastor is a terrible idea. Um <laughs> uh, because I Whatever do you mean? Yes, I'm constantly offending people. Um <laughs> which is really hard on my spirit. Um taking a stand for the right things usually involves offending people you love. Here's what's interesting. You will in your mind Think how, let's say, those justice issues, you'll think about how they are right. 
and you'll say, you know what, I think this is the heart of God. I think this is what we need to talk about. And I think this is going to push some people. I just need to do that. And then all of a sudden you find out you offended your mom. (laughs) And you find out you offended your spouse. And you find out because you didn't even realize. You were thinking about the masses. You were thinking, whoa, sorry. You were thinking about um, those people out there. Yeah. You looked right over your family. You looked right over your friends. Yeah. And you assume they're on the same page with you. And what you discover is when you start pushing boundaries or challenging, you're challenging even the people you love, and they feel freedom to tell you yeah. that you offended them. <laughs> and so th- that was one of the big things that I had to learn because I'd stand up there on the pulpit and I'd start challenging something and then I'd have to hear about it in private later. Hmm. And it was like, oh, shoot, I was trying to address no name people and I addressed a bunch of people that not only have a name, but they're right inside my own house. So are you saying in these cases, people were taking it personally, like as if they thought you were kind of talking to them, but in the guise of talking to the crowd, or they were offended simply because you were naming issues that they themselves were struggling yeah, with. Yeah, both of those. Yeah. So um, uh, the one that I was thinking of specifically is it uncovered a bias that they had that they had never talked about with you, ah. and you didn't realize that was a problem. <laughs> okay. So, for example, let's say anything political. Mm-hmm. Let's say for a long time your family didn't talk about anything political, and then you go out and say, I don't like what that person said or that certain political stance is yeah and all of a sudden it lights up in your own like family your nuclear family and they start saying i keep dropping kind of water bottle. <laughs> pardon the chiming in the background it does not mean turn i had the page too much in your caffeine book. Just- too much caffeine i'm yeah I'm, I'm freaking out here um but you realize that all of a sudden you realize you're not on the exact same political platform as everyone in your family and you went wow i just started a war and i didn't even mean to <laughs> yeah what about you? Yeah. No, that's that 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 is certainly true. I, I think that this this whole statement there there are so many different elements of it. Uh, on one level, yes, you're right. Doing doing the right thing will almost always involve offending people, and it will sometimes involve offending people who you care about very deeply, and even offending strangers. Like I, I don't enjoy that, right? Like I don't I want to offend anybody. I don't. Right. That's never the goal, right? But. But recognizing, and I think that that challenge of leadership to know that when you make decisions, and and this is let, let's go far beyond preaching, right? When you make leadership decisions, there yes. there are people who will not understand. There will peop, there are people who will be hurt by it. There will be people who will not like you. There will be people who feel overly challenged. Yes, and it's such a a difficult element of leadership to recognize. Okay, what is really necessary? And what is too much? Yep. Right. Because because something that I I think a, a principle that I'll just insert my own axiom here that applies to so many different cases is you can be right and still be wrong. Yes. Like you can say the right thing in the wrong manner. You can say the right thing in the wrong context. You can say the right thing in the wrong tone. And the fact that you're logically intellectually correct really doesn't matter. Right. Because all you've done is alienate and offend. Yes. So so I think that that's a, a dynamic of leadership to recognize. Okay, how do I push for what's right? And if I have to offend, I'm offending something, I'm offending a point of view that is so broken that it just kind of needs to be offended a little bit. Yes. With the, the goal is not to offend, ever, 
but to recognize, okay, that is just, I have to be willing to accept that for the purpose of doing, doing what is right. Now, to get back to my, my little axiom, you can be right and still be wrong. I think I always bristle a little bit at the statement of like taking a stand for, for X, Y, and Z, because I think it gets, it gets hijacked and used for, sure. it's basically code for, you can be a jerk and anybody who's right. offended by it, is there a snowflake or there, you know, whatever yes. the case may be. And it's like, well... No, and then and then we get criticized, and oh, I'm being persecuted for standing up for what's right. No, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Like that's <laughs> right, totally. what is going on here, right? <laughs> so I think we need to be well careful said. to, and even what does it mean to take a stand? Take a stand does not mean to say, okay, I've arrogantly decided that I am correct right. and everyone else is wrong, right? To take a stand means I am going to lead with courage. Sometimes that means humility. Sometimes that means forgiveness. Sometimes that means kind of taking the second place when when we feel like we want to press forward. Like that can mean a lot of different things. And we need to be careful that it's not this like domineering my way or the highway yes. kind of thing. So I'm, I'm coming at this from a lot of different angles, yeah. but it's, it's man, just there's nuance well, to it. Well, let me add one other piece to this. I want to talk about parents of little children. Yeah. Um, you find this, this erupts very quickly. So let's say, for example, that, um, and I I'm gonna. It usually tends to happen a bit more in female circles than it does in male circles, and here's why. Let's say, for example, all of your friends um, are working moms, and they talk about, uh, "Well, we feed the baby this way," and you go, well, "I actually believe that you should uh, breastfeed." Mm-hmm. Well, then all of a sudden, there's a judgment. On everybody else. Yeah. And everyone comes out with their parenting opinions. Oh, well, I let my child cry themselves to sleep. Well, I let my child sleep in our bed. Well, I, And then everyone starts offending everybody else. <laughs> and you go, well, I'm trying to take a stand for what I believe is right for my child. Yeah, but you just offended me because I don't do it that way. Yeah. So even as young parents, man, this stuff just hits everywhere. <laughs> oh I remember way back in the day in church, this was back in the, in the 90s, there was a whole thing about growing kids God's way, which was one parenting uh, plan, and then there was another competing plan. And it was like, well, Jesus would have raised his children <laughs> like this. Well, he would never raise his children like this. I mean, it was just, it, it became so entrenched and and offensive, yeah. and it was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Now, let's say there is something you felt was good for your child. Sometimes you have to take that stand, and yes, it's going to offend some other people, even some people you love. Yeah, uh, that's true. But I think that, but I think that brings up a great point. And you're, there is so much rawness to the young parent stage of oh, stage of life, my right? Goodness. Like there's just there's just a lot. It's there. so hard. It's, it's hard, and it doesn't help that you're not getting any sleep and everything else. But but I think it, it it brings up a broader point, which which I think is is be confident enough in what you believe that you don't feel the need to defend yourself all the time. It's so right? hard. It's like, so true. Okay, uh, you allow your children to watch television, and uh, yes. I don't, which is yep. not true. We let our kids watch TV. Right. It's like okay, great. Yes. No judgment. Don't don't. Cool. You do you. You feed your kids this week. We go to you know public school. You go to private school. Fantastic. But you understand how even the actions say something. Because if I don't let my kids watch TV, it means I don't think there's something healthy there. And so when I go to your house and your children are watching TV, you know what I'm saying? I'm going. Are you judging my kids? There's this automatic defensiveness. Totally. And we've got to mature beyond that. Yes. And not be reactive. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. And I think that when we're secure enough in yes. who we are and the decisions yep. that we've made, so much of this is rooted in, in is in insecurity, right? Absolutely. And and I think just to realize, okay, I 
I don't need to defend myself. Yep. I do my best to make the choices I make. I want to learn from people with different perspectives, whether it's parenting or ministry or whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm going to make my decisions. And just like the theoretical you or even the specific you, yes. you don't you don't need to defend your decisions to me. I don't right. need to defend my decisions to you. And I don't need to be offended by right. ways that someone else's decisions are different than mine. It's just, it, it, uh, I don't know. The whole thing is just weird to me. But... <laughs> Anyway, let's just move on. All right. Next, you can't build an organization off of what you're against, only what you're for. Yeah. Um, whenever I meet new leaders, uh, young leaders, and I don't mean young as in terms of age. I mean, they're new to leadership. Yeah. Whenever I meet them, I can pretty much ask one question and find out why they do what they do. Okay. I ask this one question. What bothers you most about modern day Christianity in America? Hmm. Whatever their answer is usually is driving their ministry. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, when I was growing up, I, was, I grew up uh, in the 80s. In the 80s, there was scandal everywhere. Yeah. It was everybody was blowing up, and there was, uh, I was involved in a bit more of the charismatic world. And so there was a lot of preachers on TV, and then scandal started hitting and all this stuff. Well, a lot of it you ended up learning as a child. There was a lot of it that was maybe legit, but you didn't get to see that part. Yeah. You only got to see the facade, the fake, the plastic. Yeah. Well, as I grew up, everything about my ministry was transparency authenticity, genuineness, because I was against that. And it was driving my ministry of being raw, right? And authentic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's great as a catalyst, Mm -hmm. but you can't build a ministry off what you're against. I can't just live in reaction to someone else's decisions. I have to be purposeful and build on something. So what happens is like, for example, um, if, if you remember back in the nineties, the emergent church movement, well, they were in reaction to the current modern church and you go, okay, well that's great, but you can't just be in reaction to something. What are you for? Right. And a lot of us, we get very fired up on what we're attacking against. Yeah. We're not quite sure what we stand for. Yeah. And then you go, so you're not really building anything. You're good at tearing down other people's buildings, but you're not constructing your own building. And if we're going to do true leadership, we're trying to build something so what are you for as yeah. opposed to what are you against? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, so I, I teach over at Jessup and I teach a visual communications class and we were talking about some uh, logical fallacies the other day. And we talked about ad hominem attacks, the idea that if uh, I, I criticize you, say, Lance, I don't like this, this decision that you made. And then you say back to me, well, I just think you're a bad person. Right. right? Like that's a, and it's like, okay, maybe I am a bad person. That does not address that you have made a decision I don't like. You know right. what I'm saying? So that would be an ad hominem, ad hominem attack. And this is all over the place in the, in the yes. world today. So somebody is criticized substantively and they respond by attacking, by yes. saying something mean about the other person, essentially. It's just, it is, it is mudslinging. In, intellectual mudslinging at its yes. worst, right? But it is, it is sort of is this base level, I'm just going to be against stuff. Yes. And, and I think you're right. And, and I think the question in terms of, Asking what bothers you most about Christianity and 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 knowing that that's going to fuel somebody, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think even as I reflect on things I'm passionate about in ministry, yep. that that is certainly reflective in, in in my own heart. But at the end of the day, what you said is absolutely right. I mean, people are are galvanized and inspired by what you're for. Um, a but they're such a bad guy, or I'm just against that thing. 
I said to my class, I said, that's not an argument. That's not something thoughtful and interesting. That's not something that's going to catalyze you or people that would want to follow you and carry you long term. You have to describe what are you trying to build? What is your organization about? What are your family values? What is your business trying to accomplish in the world? Not simply what are you trying to oppose? Because listen, opposing something will get you clicks. Opposing something will get you shares. Opposing something will get people to tune in and watch, yes. but it's not going to catalyze positive social movement. No, even in, um, so once again, going back to parenting, yeah. um, there was a big backlash in um, young parents that emerged out of the 60s and the 70s uh-huh. from uh, very much of a, a dominating children are quiet, uh-huh. and so they went the other way, and you become a reactionary parent. You go, well, then I have all restraints off. <laughs> and you go, okay, that's not a parenting style. Yeah. Like that's not an appropriate way to raise a child, but it was in reaction to right. the dominating. Yeah. And so you go, okay, but we still are trying to build a child into a healthy human being. Right. Okay. So what's our plan? Yeah. And, and I think just even as a leader to ask the question before you make decisions, before you do things like, okay, am I, am I just reacting yes. right now? You know, I had a a situation happen yesterday. It has nothing to do with Bridgeway, but I was frustrated by something. And I thought, I need to make a phone call to discuss this with an organization. The details are irrelevant. And I said to myself, okay, I very well may need to make a phone call here, but I'm going to force myself to wait until Thursday. Today today is Tuesday. It happened. Yeah, this is like the first time in my life I've done this correctly, right? Is this incident happened on a Monday? I'm a little frustrated. Today's Tuesday. Okay, I need to just let this sit for a minute. And make sure I'm not just reacting out of frustration, yes. but that like I've cooled off enough to like, okay, is this an issue that needs to be addressed or do I just need to let it go? Right. That's yep. I, I it, it's hard to do. It's hard to it's do. It's hard to do. But but in leadership, it's important. Okay. Uh, there are great things you must never do. They are not for you. That's a tough one. Yeah. So this is for all us little workaholics. Uh-huh. This is all us uh, performing, trying to drive forward and get everything done. Um, because here's the thing. There are great things that you're going to come into in this life. And you're going to go, wow, look at that. That's a great thing. I'm going to do that too. And I'm going to do that too. And I'm going to do that too. Ultimately, you are doing so many things, you're not doing any of them well, yeah. right? You, Our job is to do what the Lord has placed for us to do, not just find great things to do. Yeah. So there are some great things you have to pass on because you go, well, I can't pass. It's great. No, no, no. I agree. It is great. It's not for you. Because here's the thing, and this goes back to kind of an adage that I I created in my mind a long, long time ago, which was, um, if God asks you to do 80%, you do 100%. That's 20% disobedience. Hmm. We always think more is better. Well, I'm going to do more for the Lord. Okay, but what if he said, I need you to do 80% because I got the 20% for Jim over here. Yeah. And he's going to glorify my name through that 20% and you just cut him off. Yeah. Because I'm working through the body in a unity thing, but you seem to want to be in charge and you're taking over everything. The not only will you burn out, but I think you're dishonoring the Lord and you're cutting other people's opportunities off. Yeah. Our job and success is simply obedience, nothing more. Right. Therefore, our job is what is God saying and how do I do just that yeah. and stay in my lane. Yeah. So for me, I'm a visionary. I get attracted to great ideas. When I see a great idea, I want to incorporate it. I've had to spend the majority of my life saying no yeah. to brilliant opportunities. Right. 
because it wasn't for me. Yeah. I, I think about the the difference between busyness and productivity. Absolutely. We talked about busyness earlier. Yeah. It's obviously, you can stay busy with a million different things, but to be truly productive in the most God-honoring sense is to recognize from God, God, what has my name on it and what doesn't. And you're right that a big part of that is realizing I might say no to some great opportunities. But the fact of the matter is, if we get to the point where we're spinning so many plates that we've crossed over from healthy God-honoring productivity, yes. healthy work and rest, all of that, and we've crossed over into busyness, the, the the irony of all of it is we're going to be less effective. Yes. Right? We can think, oh, I'm going to try to do my 100% when God's called me to 80%. And it's like, well, actually, not only are you going to dishonor the Lord in trying to do 100%, not only might you cut someone off from their own opportunity, but you're just not going to be as good at it. Yes. It's just not going to get the job. And you're probably not going to be as happy, and you're probably going to be a lot more stressed. Yes. So, so I think that the, to recognize... Just because something is great doesn't mean it has my name on it. Yes. It's just an important life principle for and and, and I think I mean as as there is so much pressure we talked about kind of different parenting styles and all that uh, uh, you know a bit ago I think to to there's so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses yes. in oh are your kids involved in 87 different things yes. or are you serving in 47 different capacities are you on all these different boards and volunteer committees and everything else it's just on some level like just kind of being able to tune that out a little bit and yep. just be like okay god what have you called me to do yes. and that's not an invitation to laziness nope. at all it's an invitation to healthy, God-honoring productivity yes. where what is influencing us is the voice of God and the voice of godly counsel who can help us, not some sort of like bizarre social pressure to, to do yep. 47 different things. Yeah. Are you hearing vision from the Lord or are you hearing noise yeah. from the yeah. world? No, that's good. That's super good. Even, next axiom right here, even the most brilliant leaders get criticized. That's not true, is it? Oh, man. <laughs> it, it always makes me feel better that people tore Jesus down. Because <laughs> I'm like, it, 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 of anyone that was here on the earth that was doing it right, it was yeah, Jesus. Jesus. I mean, like every time it was right. And he got criticized the entire time. Uh, if you want to talk about just sheer brilliance, um, uh, when you go back through and, li- and watch documentaries about you know people that have done incredible things, yeah. there's always criticism and naysayers and every brilliant endeavor and they're like nope that's never going to work you're not the right person you can't handle that and it just goes on and on and on and so because i don't i don't deal really well with criticism Mm -hmm. um i find different ways to channel it um and i don't know if that's due to simple insecurity or i don't know what it is it's it's somehow it's rooted in insecurity somewhere but but i don't deal well with criticism and I, I think sometimes maybe it's because I'm hard on myself, and and so another person adding to it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I gotta fix it. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> but the idea is is that when I get criticized and I start going, maybe I'm not the guy that needs to lead. Then hmm. you know what I mean? Because yeah. that we default into this this little. You would take it way further yeah. if somebody you know comes up and goes, "Man, you you didn't lead that meeting well. That was dismal." Yeah. Then you go, "Maybe I'm not a good leader." Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why did we take it there? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, maybe you just didn't do a great one meeting. Yeah. But we tend to fall down this slippery slope of I must not have value yeah. then. And you just you got to be careful of that. So uh, but even just the factual evidence, every brilliant leader, yeah, was criticized and yeah. so will you be yeah. even if you're brilliant. Yeah. I love to read biographies and it's just it's amazing to me. I mean, obviously 
political leaders. I've I've read a biography of a major Republican political figure and a major Democratic political right. figure just this year, and it's just amazing to hear them talk about the criticism they receive. Yes. But we all we all see that. But even things like, um, I mean, the Wright brothers spent yes. the last years of their lives in litigation and lawsuits, dealing with critics and people trying to steal their ideas and everything else. Yes. Alexander Graham Bell, same thing. Like yes. these, the most brilliant. Like it's like if you want to lead something, if you want to meaningfully contribute to society, there's just going to be criticism. That's yes. just how it's going to work. And and I think what's so hard as a leader is to a not get crushed by it yes. because like man as much as i work at not being defensive and as much as i i try to have a thick skin like i i like you i think stuff gets to me more yes. than i like to admit it does you know yeah. uh so so to not be crushed by it yeah but at the same time to not be completely impervious to it where we're not listening for the the nuggets in the midst of it oh for you know? sure to to not just dismiss any and all criticism, but to have the humility. Now, there are some criticism that is to be dismissed. Uh, I say the only place for an anonymous comment card is the trash can, right? Like, if you're not right. going to put your name on it, I don't care what you think. Bottom line, period, right. full stop. But, uh, there and, and there are some people who are just mean-spirited and are just, they're working yes. out their own dysfunction by getting mad at you. But at the same, but in the same manner, I always want to be open to, okay, in the criticism, is there something for me there? Yes. Is there some way for me to grow? And and to recognize that, that that criticism doesn't mean I'm a failure necessarily, right? But it might mean there's something for me to correct. And I think it's important to balance those two things. To balance, okay, I'm not going to be crushed by the criticism and let it define me, but I'm not going to be so arrogant that I can't let God use that in my life to to make me better for other people. I just recently saw the film Ford versus Ferrari, and uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale are yeah. in that movie. And one of the things that they were doing is they were trying the, – the premise is is that in the – over – in a car race over in Europe, uh -huh. uh, Ferrari had always won. Uh -huh. Enzo Ferrari is a guy that was hand-building these, these engines, and his team would always win every year. Yeah. And so Ford wanted to jump in, and they wanted to win. Yeah. And so a lot of the movie is them trying to alter the car to get it – faster uh -huh. and so it's like well we got to pull out this much weight we got to change this level we got to lower this we well, it was all criticism of the way it was hmm. yeah in order to make it faster and better yeah. and so if the owner or who designed it was going to get offended yeah they would have never won yeah but the person that designed it ended up going you're right that's still not the best design. Yeah. Let's do better. Let's yeah. do better. Let's do better. And if we could have a little bit of that in us where yeah. we could go, you know what? I'm looking for the best. And so, hey, if you got to critique something going on with me, I want to be better. Let's go. Yeah. What do I mean, you? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think that's such a that's such a great example. And to me, that's why trust is so important yes. in leadership to recognize okay we're all on the same team so yes. when we criticize things we're trying we're all shooting for the same target here trying to make right. it better it's i mean I, I talk about this all the time is that when it comes to ideas and when it comes to how do we move things forward i always want to be on a, a a strict meritocracy system the best idea wins all the time and if the best idea is not mine fine like that's okay now we can all disagree and debate about what the best yes. idea is but at the end of the day we have to make 
decisions for what is the, what is the best idea because we have people that God has entrusted to our yes. care and part of taking that seriously is trying to be our best be our best for them as a parent that's true what is the best idea for your family that's as it. a business leader what is the best for the company because we have we have a product to get out to market we yep. have employees who depend on us to pay their mortgages like we have to try to be the best and when ego gets in the yes. way yes. where we can't receive criticism of our ideas that that criticism that comes in the name of being better man it just holds us back yeah it just sure. it just holds us back all right last one and we didn't even get to all the ones we were going to get to but i think man this one this one's so important comparison will crush you if we do not understand that god has a lane for us to run in and we are constantly looking at everyone else and trying to figure out whether or not we're as good as they are in every single way uh we're going to lose uh we have to stop assuming that we are doing apples to apples it is apples to oranges they are a different being with a different call from god with a different set of resources and whenever you compare it's an inappropriate comparison yeah even though they look just like you or they're human just like you you have a lot in common but they're so much different that you cannot compare because the more you compare, you're going to start assessing yourself on things that aren't yours, hmm. right? So, for example, if you go, "Well, I'm not as I'm not as smart as Stephen Hawking," you're absolutely <laughs> right. No, you're not. Join the club. He is way smarter than most people, right? Yeah. And you go, "But that makes me less than." No. You're not, that was not your design. Yeah. That's not how you're supposed to do it. And it, it all goes back, and unfortunately, I am going to bring in one more sports analogy. It's the idea of if a quarterback looks at the stat line of a running back and says, I don't have enough running yards. And you go, you're a quarterback. You throw the ball. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to have as many running yards. Yeah, but he has more than me. Yeah. Of course he does. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. Everybody's on a team. And so it goes back to that same thing of trusting the Lord to be a good leader, right. that he would be able to say, you know what? I built you for this lane. If you keep trying to play in their neighborhood, it's not going to work out well. Right. Please do what I built you to do. Yeah. If you are running in your lane and all you're doing is looking at other lanes, there's a decent chance you might run into a tree. <laughs> totally. And that does not go well for anybody. I mean, comparison is the air we breathe, right? Yes. There's a million opportunities every single day yep. for us to compare ourselves with other people. And Gotta block it, is, it out. Oh, it is so toxic. It just doesn't work. And I mean, I just, I think for those that are stuck in the comparison game, who are, who are envious of others, who are, who are looking at others who seem to have their life together better than they do, it's like, okay, what? What's the end game of that plan? Yes. Like, at what point do you say, "Oh, well, I'm, I guess I'm better than everyone now." Like, first of all, that's never going to happen. Nope. Second of but all, then what? like, yeah, and then what? Right? What are you gonna, What are you going to do? And, and I think just to to be able to look at your life with a sense of who has God made me to be and yeah. what does it look like to live into that fully. I think that's where there's joy. I think that's where there's yes. happiness and where I don't need to compare myself with, well, are, are they happier or less happy than, than me? Do they have more money or less money? Do they have more. Right. Do people like them better than me? Like, I don't care because <laughs> I'm not depending on those things to make me Amen. whole. And I think you're able to celebrate the contributions of other people, right? Like, why, why do I love celebrating other people? 
preachers because I love seeing the word of God communicated effectively. I don't care. I love that people are better than me, right? Like praise God that there are people better at what I do than me, right? I don't have to compare myself to other dads, right? Because I'm confident in who God has made me to be and in my parenting and all my imperfections. So if I see someone who's just seems to be an awesome dad, man, that's fantastic. What can I learn from them, right? If there's a church that's doing stuff better than us, man, praise God for that. Let it inspire us, but let's not envy and let's not feel like we need to copy. Yes. I, man, across the board, we don't need to compare. We can celebrate what God's doing in others while at the same time living into who God has made us to be. Again, I think that's where joy Amen. and happiness and purpose is found. No, that's so, so good. All right. Well, we made it through, I don't know, we made it through like eight of these axioms. And this was like our list that we cut down from 25 to 11. So yep, we hit nine. We hit nine. All right. Well, great stuff on getting these written down. Thanks for taking the time to talk them through us with us. Thanks for all of, thanks to all of you for listening. Hope that you found this beneficial and understand like Lance said a moment ago, every Christian is a leader. You have got leadership potential in you. You have leadership opportunities you are facing day in and day out. And we hope that our conversation today was helpful for you as you continue to lead for God's glory and your joy. We'll see you next two weeks from now. There we go. The next episode of Engaging Culture. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.